Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your girl, Afronomical. In today's podcast, I'm going to be talking about several things that have just been on my mind lately that I've just been, you know, noticing on social media regarding black women and dating. Um, And we're also going to be talking a little bit about some black feminist literature, aka All About Love, New Visions by Bell Hooks. So yeah, uh, this episode was mainly inspired by the amount of I see, there are so many groups on the internet every day that I see regularly on Twitter, Tumblr, YouTube, and Instagram now that just fill me with so much agony because there are so many black people out there who I feel like have lost their way or they lost their community and sense of self and they fell in with the wrong crowd of people and now they are parroting absolute bullshit uh I don't even want to call it theory because it's not really theory. They're basically just making shit up and running with it. And I don't appreciate it at all because, you know, it's one thing if people want to be stupid by themselves in private, whatever, who cares, right? It's another thing when you're being stupid in a public setting as the internet is. And, you know, there's so many young, impressionable people, not even young, but there's so many impressionable people on the internet, period. And there are so many people that just believe what they see, they don't fact check, they don't read, they don't actively have community that can, you know, be like, these negative stereotypes are not true, stop believing white supremacist rhetoric and lies. So, I just wanted to talk about these movements, ugh, I really hate calling them movements, but yeah, these movements, um, one of which you may be familiar with, if you're not, it's called the Divest Movement. And this movement claims to be about helping black women discover their so-called worth. Um, And their their primary way of doing that is by convincing black women, monoracial black women, that they don't need to date monoracial black men and that they should seek to date outside their race, either with a white man or with, you know, some other type of non-black man. But in their opinion, white men are like the top of the top and black men are like at the bottom, you know. Basically, again, white supremacist rhetoric for no other reason other than they just believe this to be true and they have convinced themselves that white men are like the cream de la cream for some reason. It's not fucking true and I'm gonna get into why. But in addition to these divesters or so-called divesters, we also have hyper femininity girls who go hand in hand with these divesters, I believe. I feel like they're very closely related if I was to draw a family tree of these ignorant people, I would put them as cousins. Hyperfemininity people basically believe that black women are too masculine or that black women have become too masculine for whatever reason, that they've been hardened by life because of slavery and because of other things, which is true. But then they take this a step further and they say that in order for black women to attract what they call a quote-unquote high-value man, we need to perform hyperfemininity, meaning we need to be ultra-feminine, ultra-delicate, never pay for anything, pretend to be like super-duper ditzy and just be obsessed with fashion and makeup and clothes and all of these superficial markers of feminine behavior that they think make a woman a quote-unquote real woman. Um... And, you know, it's complete nonsense to me because many of these quote-unquote movements are just obsessed 
with emulating white womanhood. It's what I've noticed, and I I don't think I had the words for it until recently, but I saw somebody say this and put it into words, and I, I was like, yeah, this, this is true. This person was just like, I'm so tired of divesters and hyper-femininity women trying to tell young black girls that the way that they are is wrong. You know, like the way that you are naturally is just wrong, and that you must change yourself to appease to other people. And the way that they're, you know, telling these young black women or just black women in general to change themselves models white femininity and as much as these people they will argue you down when you say this they will argue you down when you point out that pretending to be soft delicate and you know being obsessed with clothes and social standing and wealth are all historical markers of white womanhood because their argument is, oh, well, black women, you know, we face slavery, we face racism, we're constantly um, speaking up for the whole race, and nobody speaks up for us other than us, we're being abused, we're being shot, we're being raped, and these are all things that are true, and I do understand where they're coming from. What I've noticed is mostly, uh, I'm speaking now to the divestors crowd, not so much the hyperfemininity, but mostly divestors, most of the divestor women uh, they tend to be dark-skinned, and they tend to be older. And the reason I bring up their skin color is because colorism in the black uh, community, or sh I should say the various black communities, because we are not a monolith. Every single one of us is different in our own ways, but culturally we're similar. The various black communities across the diaspora do have a problem with colorism, and individuals tend to be incredibly violent to dark-skinned women and marginalized genders. It is the truth. This is well documented. We have proof of this, um, you know, and no matter what words you try to dress it up in, the issue lies in the fact that dark skinned people, dark skinned women, dark skinned individuals are not treated with respect. However, the issue also becomes when you take this one true fact and you twist it and then incorporate bullshit into it. So they like to twist the fact that dark skinned women, black women, are abused, are shot, are raped, are killed often by the people that we're marching for, often by the people that we're protesting for, um, because, you know, sexism, misogynoir, just people hate women systematically, historically, this has always been true, people, mostly men, hate women, and they will uh, do whatever they have to do to assert their power over women as a whole. And um, you know what? It's not so much about personal hate. I, should, I shouldn't say hate, because when you say the word hate, people always get mad, and they're like, oh, well, I don't hate women. I just don't think. And then they say something incredibly sexist. It's not so much that men as a whole gender hate women. It's just that our culture of patriarchy has indoctrinated us all into believing that men are inherently more deserving of certain things than women, that men are inherently smarter, more logical, uh, stronger than women therefore it's more it makes more sense that they you know rule most of the countries in the world that they own the majority of the land in the world that their rights um, their gender rights at least are never really infringed upon unless they are men of color in which that is an entirely different story um, and this is my problem with a lot of these online groups I always hated ever since I was a child I always hated people on the internet who would take history and twist it to suit their own personal gains. I hate that because history and the facts and the truth are not opinions. 
history is history the truth is the truth the truth doesn't give a fuck if that makes you sad or if, if you know nobody likes to hear the truth because the truth is the truth people don't want to hurt their own feelings or hurt other people's feelings which is why humans tell lies but we know this the truth of the matter is regardless if you as a black woman or any other marginalized gender date a black man a white man a non-black man asian whatever race of man that you date it does not matter or it only matters slightly what their race is because the violence that women face at the hands of men it goes beyond race it transcends race you know it also intersects with class men with more money or just men in general tend to financially abuse women of all races of all classes we constantly see it happen however men that are richer than their wives men that are uh historically have always been the breadwinners or men that have you know just more income than their wives or their wives are just stay-at-home moms or whatever these men tend to financially abuse their women their wives the most because well their wife doesn't have an income she doesn't have anywhere you know if she was to divorce him she would be out on her ass on the street because she has no house she has no car you know nothing is in her name it's all in his name and she has no bank account usually if they have a joint bank account you know it's not ideal and it's just historically we have seen that women who did not have access to their own money their own bank accounts their own savings they stuck in abusive relationships longer because they had nowhere to go they had nowhere to finance themselves they had no way to pay for their uh, livelihoods without having a man uh, a common saying back in the day was that a husband or a man was like a meal ticket because you know women without husbands in the 1950s 40s 30s and 20s in america at least basically were shit out of luck unless they managed to either pretend to be a man and start working or get a job uh there were times you know when war was a profitable business and women specifically went into the uh industry they started working at warehouses they started working at ammunition places uh that would send these materials to soldiers who were you know killing people abroad imperialism whatever but the point is that historically American women have not really been financially free as a group uh, for a long time. And when you divide that up by race, you know, when you go white women on top and then obviously black women, Latina women, Asian women, and everybody else underneath, you start to see how race, class, uh, if you are disabled, you know, all of these things will affect your life obviously and all of these things end up affecting your job and all of these things end up affecting how much money you're able to make because you know when it was more acceptable to be openly prejudiced to people of course they were denying black women jobs because they were black of course they were denying disabled women jobs because they were disabled of course people were denying women financial freedom because they were women it was always happening it's still happening to this day it's not a past tense thing um and which is why i don't really enjoy either of these movements the divest movement nor the hyper femininity movement because why teach young black women that they need to center their personality they need to center their you know entire life around men despite the fact that both of these movements are about leveling up quote unquote 
neither one of these movements ever thinks why not level up black women and black girls and black marginalized genders self-confidence why not tell women you don't need to think about men you don't need to center men you don't need a boyfriend husband partner or whatever to be successful to be happy all you need is to figure out what you like to do in life all you need to do is figure out your passions all you need to do is figure out what you enjoy do those things and find a community and build a community and be a part of a community that also enjoy these things i think that would be a lot more productive um but i suppose that empowerment is not as fun to sell as get rich quick schemes and you know divestment and hyper femininity but it is what it is and i am going to start now talking about this book that i just finished that i was constantly you know recommended to me when i first had tumblr i knew everybody was reading this book a lot of people that i follow that are black feminists have also read this book all about love new visions by bell hooks it was published in the year 2000 if you don't know who bell hooks is she is a black feminist who is an author professor and activist that normally talks about subjects such as racism sexism capitalism just to name a few and when i read this book it blew my mind it honestly blew my mind how much thought i had never put into the action of loving somebody um bell hooks is very clear in this novel she says it several times that love is not a feeling it is an action and i'm glad that she points this out and i'm glad that she makes this so clear because for the longest time i thought like many people that love was a feeling and i thought that it was just an innate thing that every human on earth just knew how to do because well that's the way society kind of shows it to you in movies and tv shows and books and everything like people just innately love each other well bell hooks points out that our society is full of shit <laughs> and that we are much more enamored with consumerism narcissism and just selling products and self-help books rather than actually getting to the root of the problem rather than actually identifying why the majority of people at least in America don't seem to love each other and can't seem to love each other and why so many of us fail time and time again when it comes to loving and being honest and being open about our feelings um and the reason I bring up this book not only do I think it's a wonderful book that everybody should at least read once in their life the reason I bring up this book is because there's so much of it that is relevant to today, even though it was written damn near 20 years ago. For example, I'm going to start reading some quotes right now. On page 210, Bell Hooks says, Sadly, the men's movement that emerges in response to the feminist critique of sexist masculinity often encourage, encourages to get in touch with their feelings but to share them only in a quote-unquote safe context usually only with other men robert blythe a major leader of this movement had little to say about men in love men in the movement did not urge one another to look to enlightened women for guidance in the way of love i think this is a very important quote to talk about uh especially because there's so many alleged men's rights movements today and a lot of incels involuntary celibates who are 
so angry with women. They're so angry with feminists. They're so angry with women who are free, independent, and don't really give a fuck to uphold the patriarchy and care for men and baby them. And they claim that they want men to be in power too, which, you know, sounds great on the surface. If we were talking about empowering black men and other men of color and disabled men and men with mental illnesses and men with addictions and men that have been homeless to all get together and, you know, talk about their shared experiences as men and cry and whatever. But that's not what's going on. Most of these men are gathering in spaces uh, due to the pandemic. The online spaces for them have just gotten bigger and bigger where they just sit around and they just post and talk in you know about hating women and how much they want to rape women how much they want to kill women that don't offer them sex etc etc and never do they really talk about love never do they explain how love really has a play in everybody's life it's more so about domination it's more so about being having somebody subservient underneath you and don't think I'm only, you know, gonna hate on the men because she says a lot about women in here too. For example, on page 202, she says, they teach females how to use feminine wiles to play the game of power, but they do not offer guidelines for how to love and be loved. And I think that this is a great sum summary. This one sentence is an amazing summary of the divest and hyperfemininity, hyper man, I cannot say that word, movements. Because from what I've seen, the women that push this stupid rhetoric, they're not actually teaching black girls how to be loved. They're not teaching black girls how to spot financial abuse. They're not teaching them how to assert their emotional, physical, mental boundaries, how to be open and communicate with their partners. They're not teaching them how to love somebody in a way that is conducive to both you and your partner. They're teaching them, you need to lie, you need to scheme, you need to, you know, do whatever it takes to get a bag, right? And hey, if that's what you do, I'm not knocking your struggle because there are tons of people, for example, sex workers, who do do this, you know, they do, they do this for a living. They have to use their feminine wiles, they have to use their, you know, natural resources, aka their body, to make a living. However, sex work is work it's a you know it is still a job at the end of the day when they stop working when they clock out when they turn the camera off when they get off set whatever it is that they do um they are not the same person they are not the same character they are not the same fantasy as with the, as what they were with their clients you know and i think a lot of people still have not grasped this in our society a lot of people seem to think that strippers only fangirls etc etc that the way they are on camera is the way they are in real life and I have no idea why uh it, I get very confused when people confuse the two like similar to me when people confuse actors with their characters and they insist that terrible people in real life are actually good because they played a nice character or they played a loving character on a tv show <clears throat> Bill Cosby um I don't I have no idea why people do this because acting is a thing and obviously some people are better actors than others just because somebody plays a role does not essentially make them that thing or that person it just means that they're doing just that they're playing a role and when you play a role usually in acting or in sex work it's because you want to get paid it's because 
you are providing a service to somebody if you're in a TV show, if you make OnlyFans videos, if you're a stripper, if you're a sugar baby, whatever it is that you do, you are providing a service. You are putting on an act, you are putting on a character for the emotional needs of someone else. Whoever the audience is, it does not matter if it is like a 60-year-old graying millionaire, or it doesn't matter if it's just an audience of people of all mixed races and ages, you are putting on a performance. At the end of the day, when you go home and you take off the outfit, the costume, whatever it is, and the makeup and whatever, you are not that character. You are not who they are. They are not who you are. And I feel like the lines often get crossed and people confuse them to the point where they think, no, this is who this person is because I watch them, I pay for them, I know. You have no idea who people are until they show you who they are in real life. Um, I got a little bit off on a tangent there, but yes, that quote that I just talked about, about teaching females how to use their feminine wiles, was a part of a larger quote about new age sexism. This is what Bell Hooks called it in her book. On page 203, she goes, much fancy footwork takes place to make it seem that new age mystical applications of yin and yang, masculine and feminine, a tragedy and <laughs> a tragedy, androgyny and so on, are not this, just the same old sex, sexist stereotypes wrapped in more alluring and seductive packaging. What she means by this is obviously, you know, people that sell you that hyper-femininity bullshit or um, men should be men, women should be women, and they just, they're just repackaging sexism. And I have thought this for the longest time, once the pandemic began is when I really saw it, but there are so many people out there, these quote-unquote relationship coaches, who are getting rich by selling people sexism and and or they're victim blaming women i get so mad when i go on twitter and all i see are people making fun of a woman in an abusive relationship people blaming a woman when she went on a date with a man and he treated her rudely or it went wrong people blaming women when they just vent about dates that they had that are bad or men that have abused raped assaulted them or just have been terrible to them you know I often find that no matter what a woman does, no matter if she fought back, if she dumped him, if she didn't dump him, if she blocked him, it's always her fault. Even if the man was clearly at fault, people on the internet, because the majority of us grew up in sexist societies, we have not internalized that sometimes a woman can reject a man. You know, it doesn't always mean that he did something bad to her, that he did something, that he's a rapist or a sexual assaulter or some type of domestic abuser, but there are plenty of them that are this way. It just means that she does not want to be with him. And I want, I wish that people on the internet, I wish people in real life could understand that a woman can reject you for any reason on this earth. Nobody is guaranteed a woman. Just because you took her to dinner, you're not guaranteed shit. Just because you bought her something, you're not guaranteed shit. Just because you love her and you, you couldn't live without her and you think you'll die if you don't get her, you are not guaranteed shit. And it just blows my mind that people continue to punish women, essentially, for not wanting to be with men that are either terrible for them just as partners or just, you know, domestic abusers, they're violent, they're rapists, they are emotionally abusive, they're narcissists, they're whatever they are that makes them so bad. A woman does not need 
to be blamed for the way that a man acts towards her. Very rarely is it ever her fault. Did I say never? Of course not. But very rarely, especially in our society that paints women as evil, as manipulative, as, you know, just these sneaky little creatures just waiting to mess up a man's career and steal all his money. So we talked about new age sexism and how it is packaged uh, to be, you know, masculine, feminine. This is what you need to do to attract a man. If you're not doing this, you're not going to attract a high value man. On that same page, on page 203, Bell Hooks also says, much popular self-help literature normalizes sexism. And I find this to be true. Um, I'm not sure why. Or I don't know if I would classify most of the tweets that I see as self-help, but they do take on sort of a self-helpy kind of tone, and the people that tweet these kind of things tend to be quote-unquote or self-proclaimed therapists, uh, relationship coaches, and so on and so forth. But yes, so much popular self-help these days, just it's just sexism. It's literally just sexism. It's just patriarchy. It is nothing earth-shattering or brand new. It's just they're putting it in a way that the packaging is all shiny and alluring to you. And you think, oh, wow, this is something new. This is something I've never tried before. But in reality, it's just cementing your place in this gender-based system of oppression. Oh, and by the way, I know I'm speaking mostly in terms of the gender binary. And you have to forgive me on that because Bell Hooks in this book, she mainly is only talking about women and men. She does not mention any other genders. And I'm not sure if that is because this book was only supposed to be about the female and male heterosexual dynamic, I'm not sure of that at all. But I take this, um, and I think it applies to people of marginalized genders who are seen as women or who are seen as men, um, only because, you know, even if you are non-binary or even if you do identify as someone else, most cisgender and most heterosexual people will misgender you, they will you know, either treat you as a man or a woman. Um, and that is obviously very wrong. And that's obviously erasure, obviously. But, you know, I think that it's important still to, you know, I try to find things that I agree with, even though I don't agree with everything that Bell Hooks says. I think that most of what she says, though, is the truth. I find that it is good to critique things and see as how they could have been better or a little bit more, you know, inclusive. So we talked about feminine wiles and lying, and we talked about the men's rights movement and new age sexism. We also talked about self-help. Bell Hooks also mentions on the same page, I know I keep going back to page 203, but there's just so many good gems there. She goes, to know love, we must surrender our attachment to sexist thinking in whatever form it takes in our lives. That attachment always returns to gender conflict, a way of thinking about sex roles that diminishes females and males. So this quote shows you how sexism hurts everyone, you know? I find that the more that people claim to patriarchal roles of the man is supposed to be the breadwinner and the woman is supposed to stay home and, you know, just take care of the babies and just pop out the kids and take care of the house and the whatever, it it's stupid it's really stupid especially because this is the 21st century we're in 2021 obviously things do not have to be like that anymore for a variety of reasons but what i find is most black women 
obviously have never been given the option to just stay home. Most black women have either cared for other people's children, they were working at a young age, they were, you know, taking care of their own kids while caring for other people's children because of slavery, because of racism, Jim Crow, segregation, yada, yada, yada. So many different reasons why black families have never really been able, up until recently, up until like a few decades ago, how so many black families have never really been able to just be 100% with their family or 100% relaxed. It's because, you know, racism demanded that black people especially enslaved black people take care of white people's children so in a way we had you know two family dynamics kind of suffering because white people were not paying any type of attention to their kids when they had slaves doing the work for them or nannies that were black and latina and whatever and black people often had to neglect their own children to take care of white families or face their wrath so i like the fact that bell hooks talked about the way that gender and sexism impede us in certain ways and the way that clinging to these traditional roles or roles that we think are traditional are harming us in more ways than one. And now I'm going to say something that for some reason is very controversial amongst most people on social media, but in college we literally learned it like multiple times. And again, I went to an HBCU and this is why I learned it in college. The nuclear family is one of the most racist and just, you know, abusive uh, family structures to ever have been created. And the reason that I say this, and that many people who have been educated on the ways of anti-racism and black feminism or just, you know, life in general say this, is because the nuclear family can only work if one or more parent works and there is at least one person at home to take care of the child you are putting the stress of financially supporting the family on one or more individuals while also demanding that they raise their children by themselves with no outside help. And it's just not realistic and it also leads to so many instances of abuse, of violence, of just people being awful to each other. And Bell Hooks points this out several times. On page 106, (laughs) on page 174 she says encouraging the segregation of nuclear families from the extended family women were forced to become more dependent on individual men and children more dependent on individual women it is this dependency that became and is the breeding grounds for abuse of power she also continues and says failure of the patriarchal nuclear family has been utterly documented exposing dysfunction more off more often than not as a place of emotional chaos neglect and abuse only those in denial continue to insist that this is the best environment for raising children uh something that i liked is that she used her own life as an example because when i first opened this book i was mind blown that an older black woman was talking about familial abuse child abuse you know the ways in which beating children is literal abuse because you are enforcing violence onto a being that is not even half your size that doesn't even have half your life experience um but to continue about dysfunctional families and the nuclear family she goes i first began to speak publicly about my dysfunctional family my mother was enraged to her my treatments 
were saying that I'm sorry I <laughs> I wrote this all wrong to her my achievements were saying that I could I couldn't have suffered that much in our nuclear family yeah I know I survived and thrived despite the pain of childhood precisely because they were there were loving individuals amongst our extended family who nurtured me and gave me a sense of hope and possibility they showed that our family's interactions did not constitute a norm but there were other ways to think and behave different from the accepted patterns in our household this is just so important especially if you are somebody who comes from a family that was abusive or that where you were hit beat um or generally just ignored as a child which tends to be a lot more families than we'd like to think and this is because we're often told you know what happens in the house stays in the house and as bell hooks pointed out you know this is a terrible way to live your life because it usually allows things like violence domestic abuse sexual assault and other problems to thrive because if you are disconnected from your community if you're disconnected from other people that love you outside of your family you will have no idea if what you are experiencing is normal or not and so many of us have grown up in abusive households where we were beat within an inch of our lives for quote-unquote talking back aka having a mind of our own or where we were just belittled and spoken down to and just treated as if we didn't matter and we have absorbed that so much in our childhood that so many of us believe that that is just the normal way to raise children often people raised this way will say oh well that's just the way it is you know kids these days are so sensitive kids these days etc etc what if i were to tell you that amongst black families black children are three times more likely to die getting beat by a family member or parent than they are to die via police brutality or getting murdered by a police officer. The fact of the matter is, many black families, despite the fact that they hit, abuse, belittle, demean in order to prevent their children from, you know, uh, having these types of problems in life, often their way of parenting leads to more problems because you are hurting your child. You should never be your child's first bully. You should never be the first person in the world. Not the first person in the world. You should never be the first person in your child's life to harm them. Because you will never be able to rectify that. You can spend the next, you know, decades of your life trying to make up for it. And they might never forgive you for that. And they have their, they're well within their rights to never forgive you for that. Because nobody is inclined to forgive you just because you want to be forgiven and that is something a lot of people also need to learn just because you apologize for something just because you um admitted that you did you know you were at fault when you did what you did that doesn't mean that people have to forgive you nobody in the world is forced to accept an apology especially if they know that you don't mean it or that you know that the behavior is going to continue on page 264 bell hooks says Healthy families resolve conflict without coercion, shaming, or violence. It is possible to be black and love your child and never lay a hand on them. It is possible to be black and find romantic love in a relationship that is not abusive, that does not, you know, end up hurting you, that is not in any way painful. Love is not abuse. Love should not be painful. Love should not hurt. Love is not abuse. 
And we need to all get it through our heads that this culture of violence and domination and I rule you and you, you know, shouldn't talk back to me in my house and this is what I says goes. We need to understand that all of these things have been passed down to us through generational trauma, have been passed down to us through slavery, white supremacy, and tons of other patriarchal, um, just, you know, anti-black, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, et cetera, et cetera, ableist structures um, that are meant to oppress our people. They're not meant to liberate us. I will never support the nuclear family. I will never support anybody that says we need to strengthen the black nuclear family because the truth of the matter is, the black nuclear family is a lot more strengthened than most people would like to believe. In fact, I would say it's a bit too strong because the amount of black children who suffer under the hands of both their parents or whoever else lives in their immediate household is far too many. And we have the data, we have the statistics to tell us this, we have the children telling us this, we have adults telling us this. So. If we know that the nuclear family isn't the way and we have seen that our ancestors and our relatives for hundreds of years have cohabited in communities where, you know, extended families exist under one roof, why do we why do we laugh when people say that that is a viable option? Why do people laugh when I say, you know, that it's possible for a group of black women to live together, none of them be romantically involved and raise children? People laugh when I say this, but historically, that's what black women have done, you know, when their husbands ran out on them, if, you know, through slavery they lost their husbands. Often a group of black women raised children together, and oftentimes their children that they raised, they weren't even all biologically theirs. Sometimes it would be other people's kids, people that have been shot, killed, people that were, you know, victims of anti-black violence, lynchings, hangings, whatever. Sometimes other pe black people would adopt these children and raise them as their own. Legally, we didn't call it adoption because legally black people were not allowed to adopt up until very recently, but you know, black people have always adopted other people's children. Black people have always been capable of loving each other. It's just that white supremacy has convinced us, racism has convinced us, sexism has convinced us and rotted our minds to the point that we think that it's impossible to love each other. It's impossible to have a household where nobody raises their voice, where there are no belts to beat each other, where there are no whips and branches and other tools that you would use to hit a child, where there are no chanclas or sandals that you toss at them. It is possible to raise children who are quote-unquote well-behaved or, you know, what I find is that when people say they want their kids to be well-behaved, they usually mean obedient. They usually mean I want my child to do everything that I say with no question, with no talk back, children are not robots they are not things for you to impart yourself they're not you know blank little slates for you to just write your name all over a bunch of times and say this is my property you need to do what I say because you're mine children are human beings they have rights just like you uh unfortunately not a lot of rights and they're not really protected because in our world in our society we do not value children as members of society we treat them like property of the parent we treat them like extensions of the parent there's this other book i've been reading called spare the kids i still haven't finished it yet but i have been browsing through it and it mentions several times how europeans prior to the colonization of africa as a continent were just god awful to their children they were literal monsters to their children they treated them like grown adults and when they came across black and indigenous people as they colonized you know the entire planet 
they treated these people as children because they would think, oh, you're so savage. You live in the woods. You live amongst nature. You are a silly person. How dare you not live in an industrialized city full of smog and pollution like me, like a civilized person. However, the issue with